goal of Data Transformers podcast is to accelerate digital transformation by bridging the gap between business outcomes and rapidly advancing technologies. And we aim to bridge this gap by focusing on data. I am Peggy Sai, top 50 women in tech influencer, co-author of the AI book and data governance expert. I'm Ramesh Danta, an entrepreneur, a tech blogger, and AI enthusiast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode of Data Transformers. Today, we have with us Gangesh Ganeshan, founder and chief executive officer at Piranova. Hi, Hi Gangesh. Peggy. Welcome. Hi, Peggy, and hi, Ramesh. Glad to be here today. Gangesh, uh, glad to have you here. I think one of the, the first questions that we would all like to know is um, just understanding a brief intro to Piranova. Um, you know, what is the product? What is the data challenge that you were trying to solve when you created this company. Um, so let's just start there. Um, sure. Um, you know, simply put, um, Pianova is a software company. Uh, we provide a SaaS platform. We, you know, call our solution uh, about data quality monitoring. Uh, so what does data quality monitoring mean? What it means is that uh, in real time, uh, we are able to provide you with clear metrics around the quality of data across multiple applications, workflows, systems, databases, wherever your data is spread across in your enterprise. Mm. We are able to give you a quantitative measure of your data quality in terms of its correctness, completeness, consistency, and timeliness. Um, and, and these are attributes that, uh, that uh, help us define the quality of your, your data. And the data does not have to be, as I mentioned, in a single data set. Uh, it can actually be spread uh, in a widely fragmented uh, landscape as is typical in an enterprise. And uh, we are able to give you uh, this uh, metrics around data quality in real time. In addition, we are able to tell you when your data quality is not appropriate, meaning you have some correctness issues, completeness issues, or consistency issues. We are also able to tell you what is the business impact of those uh, by whatever the relevant business um, metrics and dimensions are. Uh, it could be based on in the financial industry, it could be based on payments, it could be based on uh, some client SLA, uh, it could be based on regulatory requirements, uh, it could be based on any other dimension that's needed. So not only do we measure data quality in terms of correctness, completeness, consistency, and timeliness, we're able to give you the business impact of the data objects that don't meet these criterion. And then using those two, we help you, um, you know, prioritize and sort and filter uh, those exceptions so that you can go, you know, take appropriate actions, um, you know, regarding them. So this is what, uh, you know, the platform at Piernova does. And our focus has been mostly on the financial industry today. Uh, but the platform is very generic and can be uh, used um, across any enterprise landscape. But our first target has been um, in capital markets, financial industry. Interesting. So I, it's definitely the promise. It, it, it's there. I mean, I could cl clearly see it. So the thing that really is on top of my mind is, okay, which business use case? Can you give an example of, you know, in the financial industry, take one or two business use cases, how Piernova's solution is used? In the financial industry, uh, people do what's called settlement, complex idea. Uh, but the real thing is that 
uh, when you go buy Apple shares, um, you know, at E-Trade, mm-hmm. you know, there's a complex set of back office uh, events that are happening between E-Trade, possibly the, the stock market, uh, you know, provider, maybe it's NASDAQ, uh, maybe it's New York Stock Exchange. Uh, there's another, you know, institution called DTCC. There's many, many different things that are actually going on. Okay. Eventually, uh, you know, the shares actually show up in your account and, and uh, money is taken away from your account. Okay. So that goes through another channel. All the banks are involved, right? Your money from your bank goes to E-Trade's bank. From there, it goes to NASDAQ's bank. From NASDAQ's bank, it goes to the counterparty's bank eventually, right? So you can kind of see all these things are happening behind the scenes. And eventually, when everything has happened, that's called settlement. Right when when money is actually left and and the asset has actually come to this side and in the other side it happened in reverse. Now this is a complex workflow. What I just described: lots of parties involved, lots of stuff involved, and they want to actually check whether they've met their settlement goals for the day. Right? Is everything that traded settled, or were there some exceptions? And why do exceptions happen? Exceptions happen because people may have placed an order and then cancelled it in the last minute. They may have placed an order and then they may have you know, at some point, something else happened. Maybe the client uh, failed uh, to deliver the asset. Maybe the client didn't have enough money, right? Uh, maybe the client was operating on margin. And so now some risk exception happened. So all of these things you need to determine and trying to do this in zero code is what uh, the Pionova platform does. So you can kind of see what is the kind of problem that we are looking to solve. And this is one of the problems we look to solve. The second part of the uh, 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 use case is slightly more complex. I actually described use cases in which to determine this quality of the data by a business user, it is not just enough to look at your internal data sets. You may have to look at the shipper's data. Correct. Third part. You may have to look at some counterparty's bank data. You may have to look at DTCC data, right? These are outside of your institution. That's true. Right? Now, Piernova's data quality platform can not only do it for your internal enterprise data, we can actually work across a network of industries and actually provide the same solution, same user experience, same analytics, correctness, completeness, consistency, timeliness, and the business impact of those and what to do about those across a network as well. So we do it both for the enterprise use case and for what we call the network use case. So that's sort of a, a simple example. So just a quick follow-up there, Gungesh, and I have plenty of other questions uh, as you described your use cases, is that um, you mentioned external networks, right? So do they also have to be part of the Pure Nova, also be ut- utilizing Pure Nova in order for this whole entire ecosystem uh, to be regulated for good data quality? Yeah, so there are two models there. Uh, in one case, in the simpler case, um, you know, you um, only, you don't, they don't need to be, but let's say you have somehow access to the shipper's data set. Uh, you can provide a snapshot view of it to us, um, you know, in your enterprise. Um, and uh, that data is somehow joined uh, into, this, into this whole complex workflow. Uh, and in that case, you know, yes, you're connecting to an external system, but you have somehow access to that external system, right? You have you know, some portal through API or some mechanism by which you're getting access to that. Uh, and then you provide that to us and that's sufficient. In that case, that the third party wasn't even involved, right? 
So that's one model and we support that. And that's most cases are like that in the enterprise. That's how it, it is, right? You have external data and that is kind of broadly considered reference data, right? Reference data could be external data like this. It could be internal data too, but, but this is one type of reference data, external reference data. In the more sophisticated case, you're correct. Uh, a group of clients come together and they say, hey, we want to solve this common problem and we solve that as well. And our platform actually, um, allows you to build enterprise use cases, uh, network use cases, or hybrid use cases that involve both the network and um, the uh, the enterprise uh, and all combinations in the middle. And we sort of, it's all SaaS, it's all uh, zero code. You just click a few buttons and get this or that or both. And you can go from one to the other as well. So I like the concept of no code, right? Especially sometimes in a lot of organizations, technology, um, implementations fail because uh, the technology team uh, fails to actually properly integrate it into the whole tech stack. So is the idea here is that you're empowering the business stakeholders to, to really manage the end-to-end -end life cycle and as well as the quality of, of the data and the movement. Is that the one of the benefits, right, of this use case, of these That's business correct. use cases. So uh, you're absolutely right. In many cases, right, the challenge is not that, um, you know, the tech users don't know or anything like that. It's just that the business use cases are evolving. And as a business user, as I'm kind of trying to understand my business context, um, you know, uh, I, I know what I want to do. It's very difficult to kind of write it all down and you can. Uh, and 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 provide some requirements to an IT team who then goes and implements in whatever the modern software development lifecycle is, right? Whatever that is, right? And there's a there's a certain amount of time that's involved in actually you know setting up such processes. And you know people have you know talked about you know software development methodologies for 20 years, and they're getting better and better, right? But what if you can actually provide the business user with a set of simple tools, drag and drop? in which um, all of these at-scale streaming technologies are available. Now, now um, Ramesh kind of hinted at this. To do all of this at streaming scale, at, at large scale, um, obviously we have to use appropriate technologies for it. So we use many, many different technologies um, you know, for it, right? Um, you know, they could be Hadoop-based, it could be Elastic MapReduce, it could be uh, things like that where Spark programs are on the fly uh, generated uh, based on rules that you've actually set up. Now, to write a Spark program, um, you have to be somewhat very familiar with, uh, you know, writing these kinds of applications. Now, there are people that are very capable of it, and modern world is about writing such distributed software applications. But if I'm a business user, I don't want that to be in my way, simply because I don't even know what you're talking about first. Yeah. Um, they know many things, but that's not what they know. They don't know what a mapper is, what's, what, what is, what are you talking about trying to write a Spark application, right? What they want to do is to say, Hey, can you take these kinds of business rules, uh, you know, and can I have little widgets and objects? Can I click on a screen and can I say what I want? And can all this be implemented on the fly across huge amounts of data? One data is sitting in an Oracle database um, and another is sitting in an IBM uh, mainframe uh, in a legacy application uh, world. Um, and some are coming from some APIs. Wow. How do I do that? We allow that. So that's the benefit of zero code here. The zero code allows you to actually literally treat these, we generate the code for you. So one of our core value propositions is to take the business application 
build a set of simple screens that allow them to capture their kind of business logic and automatically on the fly generate code uh, that could then be implemented at scale in such distributed applications. And in, uh, you know, obviously this is permission, secure, there's so many things you need, right? Uh, because these workflows then get more complex. Uh, financial people don't want others to see certain things. Uh, there's PII involved, there's other things there. So you have to actually obey all of this and the business users know it, the regulatory users know it, uh, the risk users knew, uh, know it, uh, and, and IT helps manage and facilitate it and they become friends with it, right? It's, it's very fascinating, Gangesh here. So I'm looking at, you've been at it for the past four years in peer Nova form from um, what I see on LinkedIn. Uh, prior to that, uh, looks like you merged with. So what has been your experience in the last four years, the evolution of peer Nova? How have you started? Number one is, did you start it as a data quality company or did it evolve to become what it is right now? And uh, so what kinds of uh, reception that you've been getting to the uh, product? So uh, it, it's been a longer journey than four, actually, uh, Ramesh. It's been nearly seven years, okay. um, you know, and so it's been a while. Uh, part of it, like I told you, we had this early thesis uh, very early on, um, uh, you know, uh, when people barely knew the word Bitcoin, uh, we actually, um, you know, sort of were very interested in it and thought blockchain applications can be uh, powerful. And this was before the word blockchain was used formally. Okay. Uh, you know, in 2013, people hadn't actually used that term yet. Um, so we were, we were, uh, and, and the thing that really fascinated me at that time was the fact that, you know, everything in, in sort of that kind of blockchain structure, the chain structure is sort of somehow linked to everything else, right? So, and, and there the model is slightly simpler. It's a linear chain, right? So, you know, the chain actually says, you know, you can walk this chain back and forth to see where a transaction came from. So that's sort of the, the core uh, thing that interested me. And I was kind of thinking, man, there's some notion of lineage here because lineage here is actually in the form of a chain. chain. But um, we kind of very quickly realized that in a more generic case, the chain itself is actually a special case of a graph. So if you think about it, a graph is a more general description of objects. A chain is a specific kind of a graph. It's a linear graph. That's all it is. So we recognize that if we had to solve, use this lineage for an enterprise application, we had to solve the more generic problem, uh, which is to view and apply rules on such graphs. Now, early on, uh, we had some large financial institutions that were very interested in this idea. Uh, they helped us. Uh, you know, some of them were the largest uh, institutions in New York and around the world. And we learned a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, some of them actually allowed us to kind of uh, develop this idea further, uh, build it out as a complete product. But as you know, um, you know, building an enterprise product of this kind of complexity uh, is very difficult, right? Because you're actually building many things uh, to actually get this eventual functionality. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in, in some sense, uh, we built it a bit incrementally. We built it as a journey. Um, and uh, there were some very important teaching clients. Um, and these are some of the largest banks in the world. Um, and uh, we went live with uh, a couple of the banks uh, and financial institutions. And one of our large financial institution clients liked us so much that they decided that they'll use us across the board uh, in their enterprise. So which, which was really helpful for us because we learned more and, and we built a better product with it. But the better thing they did for us is that they said, man, we like it so much. We're going to call 10 of our partner banks in the industry. They're the 10 of the largest banks in the world. 
we're going to bring all of them together and we're going to solve one network use case. And here's the specific use case. All 10 of us have been talking about it for a long time. You seem to have the right foundations for it. So right. we sort of got very lucky um, yeah. in that sense because we were there with the right thing at the right time. So they brought 10 banks together and now more banks have joined. And um, you know, in, a, in, a, in a few weeks, we'll be actually announcing uh, this, this, um, this particular data quality application. It's That's a very awesome. exciting application. Um, and uh, it's been a bit of a journey, uh, but clients actually helping us get other clients, yeah. um, we, we kind of feel a little bit idea. lucky about it. Yeah. <laughs> So you mentioned um, certainly when it comes to banks, uh, trade settlements is is a big issue. What about things like in the compliance space, like anti-money laundering, uh, the sourcing of the the money? Um, is that something you think Pure could solve as a potential use case? Use cases, yeah, there, there's all kinds of use cases uh, that we are working on, uh, you know, both within the enterprise and across the enterprises, client onboarding, um, you know, uh, Part of client onboarding is um, AML, um, KYC kind of, you know, complex analytics on it. And interestingly, uh, uh, you know, AML, KYC, all of these are data quality problems because you're trying to understand the exception. Exactly. It's not like everybody is actually, uh, you know, a money launderer, right? You know, there's billions of transactions out there in which you're trying to understand which are the ones that are uh, fraudulent. Now, how do you know that they're fraudulent? You say, well, if they, if they kind of, you know, have these kinds of signals, what are those signals? Well, those are based on some kind of business rules. You're basically saying, if blah, 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 uh, then that possibly is a risk and then go back and do these other kind of analytics. So that's the kind of thing where you're actually trying to do this in near real time. So you can kind of see client onboarding applications, risk applications, regulatory applications, um, you know, that's in the financial space. Wow, so interesting. So Gangesh, I'm listening to your story, seven years, the Pier Nova, and, but this is not your first uh, startup or first company that you started. And so now I'm transitioning into your, some of your journey, uh, your professional journey that, uh, that you've taken. And uh, so previously uh, LinkedIn um, profile says that you sold a company to Qualcomm. So let's talk a little bit about how did you get into this entrepreneurial journey? Um, I, um, I did my master's in University of Minnesota, um, and, um, and then I ended up working there in Minneapolis. I see. Uh, I worked for Bosch, uh, which is a big automotive conglomerate. Uh, they had a, a communications division as well, and I, and I worked for that, and I worked for them for many years, and then eventually moved to some business and product roles there. Okay. Um, so I spent about 10 years in Minneapolis uh, there. I moved here to Silicon Valley, uh, you know, worked in a number of different companies uh, in various roles, uh, you know, business and product uh, roles. Um, and uh, at some point, there was an opportunity to sort of uh, spin out a division out of one of the large companies. I see. The company wanted to sort of shed a business unit, but thought it might be better to sort of let the business unit, uh, you know, give it a balance sheet and, and sort of run it as a separate company. Uh, so my boss at that time uh, was was very keen on doing it. I went and did that with him, and we actually ended up selling it. Um, so I got some experience in it. Uh, he then went and became CEO of a startup, um, and then I went with him, and I sort of was running sales and marketing for him for a little while. Eventually, uh, I took over as CEO of that company, and it was a journey in that company. Um, and uh, we uh, we ended up selling it to Qualcomm. Um, you know, uh, this was like about ten years ago. 
Uh, at PNOVA, we raised a chunk of capital. We've had some very good investors uh, and they have helped us, stuck with us, uh, introduced us to the right people, uh, helped us network in the industry, um, uh, uh, gave us a lot of credibility, gave us a lot of strength. Um, and we've had lots of good advisors and others on our board, which uh, have helped us. Um, and so, you know, that's been my journey so far. Very, very interesting, Gangesh. And I know on our podcast, certainly we've talked to a lot of startup CEOs, co-founders, and it's always interesting for us to hear um, from your perspective, what drives you? Like what drove you to this level of execution and excellence in your career? I'm just curious to um, kind of understand, um, you know, what motivates you or any or any specific event that you know in your in your earlier years that kind of motivated you to have this drive for success uh well you know um you know i uh, i'll put it the following way right um at some point in my life um you know i sort of um it, it's going to get a little philosophical uh partly because i always thought that success in your professional career uh, was, um, you know, something that I yearned for simply because it was a core value that uh, somehow I had imbibed from my early childhood. Um, and um, I, uh, I struggled a lot simply because, you know, I, I compared myself and I would say, oh man, you know, look at those exits that those companies are having and we should have an exit like that, right? And, you know, there was a, a time when I kind of made a transition, I think it was more an internal transition to kind of say, hey, let's do the best we can and, and enjoy the process, you know, of building a company, building a team uh, and having, uh, solving a real problem for clients and doing the best we can, right? And let's not be really obsessed about, uh, you know, specific outcomes. Let's actually enjoy the journey as it goes along. Now, it's kind of, Sounds very abstract, but once I made that mental transition, uh, you know, this uh, this running a company, staying motivated, staying hungry became much easier. Um, in fact, by just not obsessing about the result every minute or every day, uh, you actually end up feeling highly more motivated and more refreshed, uh, you know, than the other way that I was it. So early in my career, I'd be just working 18 hours a day, uh, you know, working nights, weekends. Uh, which is not to say that I don't work hard now. Uh, I, I work hard, but I somehow feel like it's 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 learning that you know it's a journey. It could take a while, and um, you know success in your work is just only one aspect of your life. At the end of the day, uh, you have to make sure that you're happy, you're content. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of this idea called flow state. That is a very popular uh, notion, and. Uh, the idea is that sometimes people say, right, when you when you're on a certain day, you'll say, man, I was in a flow that day. I was in a zone that day. Everything yeah. was happening perfectly for me. Correct. Right? So um, and there's been a lot of research and studies around this sort of flow state concept uh, by some very prominent researchers. And they find that people can be three to five X more, three to five X, 300 to 500 percent more effective in their jobs when they're in their flow state. The key is to know how to get to in flow state and how to keep yourself in the flow state. So, you know, we at Pianova try to focus very much on trying to say, what's sort of that big picture? What's sort of the problem we're trying to solve? And we're trying to get better at it. Again, during COVID, it's been all a challenge, you know, 18 months working remotely. So actually, Gangesh, on this, uh, still continuing the same thought, there are some certain inflection points that every person gets, right? So in your case, you were a technologist 
but you've been able to transition into an entrepreneur. Okay. And I know you have done an MBA as well. I don't know if you did part-time or full-time, but so, so I'm trying to find some ingredients within a uh, journey that people can relate to and said, okay, if I'm a technologist, my dream is to be an entrepreneur. Okay. These are the things that Gangesh has done deliberately to you know, transform himself into an entrepreneur. So, so what are those points? Like some you mentioned are given to you, like the, the company being spun out is an opportunity that came to you and it may not come to everybody, right? And then you were able to take advantage of it and learn from it and build companies. And then you definitely did MBA, so you wanted to acquire the business skills. So what are the things that a person, a technologist who wants, has a dream of being an entrepreneur should uh, aspire to do to put themselves in that situation? Yeah, so that's a great question, right? So there are some things that are very unique to a person. It's kind of hard to replicate those, right? But yeah. there are other things that are kind of uh, there. I think there's a, a couple of concepts, right? I would uh, I would emphasize on. Uh, one is sort of be curious, right? Um, you know, uh, in, in curious is not just getting up and asking questions in a meeting, which, which it could be. Uh, it's about you know trying to learn and further yourself constantly when you when you when you're there right so be curious uh, that helps uh, when you're curious you learn more and when you know that you are able to see opportunities that others may not be able to see right so they're all kind of interrelated right so it's not like opportunities come your way and you take it right they're there if the universe is big the opportunities space is infinite right. Uh, you know, when you're curious, when you're open, um, you know, you are able to kind of uh, take advantage of these opportunities. So sort of one thing Two, you know, I think it is an important thing. Um, you know, I think you have to develop the kind of communication skills uh, that are essential to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Uh, modern world emphasizes a lot on that, primarily because, uh, you know, building a company is not a one person thing. So you have to build a, a lot of alliances, you know, with investors, uh, uh, with, with co-founders, with uh, likely uh, senior executives that you want to hire. Uh, I'll give you a simple example. I worked at a company called Cypress Semiconductor years ago, like 20 yep. years ago. TJ Rogers at that time was the CEO of this company. And he was the CEO, he was the founder. He was the CEO for like 30 years for the company, um, right? And when I came to Cypress, the very first week, right, I was sent to a class. Right. I had already run a business division at Bosch and I was hired as a senior guy into the company. So I, I, I had a certain thought in my head that man already you know, worked as a senior person. I worked in product. I've run a business. I've got an MBA. I've got a master's degree, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. The class was very humbling. The class was the title of the class was precision questioning and answering. In mm -hmm. TJ's philosophy was as follows. When someone asks you a question, simply give the answer just to the question. Many of us technologists have the tendency to sort of give a longer answer. In PQ&A, they were training you the Cypress way. And they were saying, look, if someone's asking you a question, they are the ones leading that conversation. They have some goal in their mind. You have no idea of knowing what's their goal. Just therefore provide just the answer. If they say, did we hit the shipment? Say no and stop. They then may ask you why. Don't go and say no, but blah, blah, blah. That's the common tendency, right? Because you, you want to, you know, answer and give an explanation right away to explain because you're trying to defend yourself. Yeah. Great point. Wow. Gangesh, that's uh, really insightful advice. Um, 
you know, not just for technologists, but I think also for, for business side as you people as well, the interactive technology, listening, good communication is, is really great. Uh, so with that said, I know that, um, you know, it's been a really fast time for this podcast. I, we, we've had a great discussion so far and really great understanding of the, the business and data challenges for, for Piernova and also fantastic insights from personally on, on your side, Gangesh. So thank you so much for your, your time today. Well, appreciate the opportunity and, uh, and good luck in you guys' uh, you know, podcast and your journey. Uh, really appreciate being part of your journey here today. So thanks for the opportunity. Gangesh, thank you very much. Very insightful discussion. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard today and would like to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite player like iTunes and Spotify. And please do rate our podcast. Also, please go to our website, www.datatransformerspodcast.com for more episodes, blogs, and information on our speakers. Thank you.